0: Hello and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Before we begin, I just wanted to do a quick reminder about the kids' Halloween episode remember the deadline is September 13th. I know a lot of kids started back to school this week, so if any teachers out there wanted to tell their classrooms about it, last time around I got a lot of stories from one amazing teacher, and she said her students had a blast writing and listening to their stories. So just send them to scarytosleep at gmail.com, and also feel free to email me if you have any questions. So this week I wanted to do another one of my random topic episodes. For those of you who are new here, every once in a while I do one of these to change it up a bit. My other random topic episodes are Lighthouses and time slips, both of which have been really popular so here we are. By the way, I tried my best with pronunciations throughout the whole episode. I googled my butt off trying to find proper pronunciations for everything I had trouble with. Unfortunately, I didn't find every name that or I would find three different pronunciations for the same name. So please forgive me. I truly mean no disrespect and I take cultural names very seriously. I promise any mispronunciation isn't me being flippant or uncaring. I really did try hard not to butcher anything. Okay, you guys, close your eyes. Grab yourself a glass of water because I know you haven't had enough water today. Relax your mind and body and come with me on a journey of these haunted castles. Usually, when you see a book or TV show about haunted castles, they mainly focus on European castles. For many of you, That may be the only image that is evoked when the mention of castles comes up. But Europe was far from the only place with formidable and beautiful abodes meant for nobility and monarchs. Which is why I want to start with Himeji Castle in Japan. Himeji Castle sits on the Himeyama Hilltop in the city of Himeji and was built in 1346. It was designed in the beautifully classic wing-like architecture that Japan is so well known for, and has even been called the White Egret and the Great Heron after the white wings that keep watch over the city. Surprisingly, it's a wooden structure, not stone, as we've mostly come to think of when we think of castles. See, Meiji Castle is breaking all the castle stereotypes. It survived many bombings from the U.S. during World War II, as well as a huge earthquake in 1995. It's a miracle that it's even still standing. When building commenced on the hill in 1333, it was actually for a fort which wound up being demolished 13 years later. The beginnings of the castle were the brainchild of Akamatsu Sadanori, son of Akamatsu Norimura, samurai and governor of Harima province. The castle went through many changes over the centuries, but in the early 17th century it settled into basically the complex you can go see today. But be careful if you go. They've actually had to add markers to keep tourists from getting lost. The whole structure is considered to be one of the best examples of defensive structures built in the 16th century as a samurai stronghold. The walls are made of thick plaster, so that musket balls couldn't penetrate it's surrounded by three moats and the aforementioned confusing pathways. Some lead to dead ends, some to gated entryways, all for the purpose of trapping intruders. A direct quote from one of the tour guides is, the layout is ingenious, with spiraling paths, blind corners, hidden hatches, and trick gates, which could be entirely blocked with rubble within seconds. Also, You've probably heard of boiling oil being used as a defense mechanism. Well, Himeji Castle's leaders were concerned about staining the pristine white plaster of the castle. So instead, they hurled boiling water at their enemies who had become stuck in one of their traps. Now, to the ghost. Himeji Castle is home to the ghost of a woman named Okiku. Okiku was a servant at the castle her job being to take care and watch over a set of ten golden plates. A samurai warrior stationed there named Tesan Aoyama decided that he wanted Okiko as his lover. Well, she immediately rejected his advances. The spurned warrior, feeling embittered at the rejection, devised a plan for revenge. One day, he stole one of the plates that Okiku was supposed to be watching after. He told her if she didn't agree to be with him, he would accuse her of stealing the plate, which would have surely led to her being tortured, then executed. This is where the story is divided. According to some sources, Tisan's plans failed somehow and he angrily threw Okiku down a well. Others say that given the choice between being the mistress of this monstrous man or being tortured to death, Okiku threw herself down the well, committing suicide. Either way, one night, Okiku came back, crawling out of the well on all fours, her long black hair covering her face. She presented herself to the man who had caused her so much pain. In return, the samurai warrior went mad. The missing gold plate was never found, and still today people say that they see Okiku's ghost wandering the halls or crawling out of the well, perhaps searching for the missing plate, or to once again frighten Taesan into even further madness. Did any of that sound familiar? Young woman crawling out of a well with her hair in her face? How many of you guessed that? Yes, the original idea for the movie The Ring was inspired by Okiku herself. Let's get back in the time machine and take a trip over to Austria, specifically Unternberg, Austria, where there sits a reminder of a bloody and horrifying time in Austrian history. No, I don't mean the 1930s and 40s, Let's go a little further back to 1191. For those of you who aren't brushed up on their maps of the Roman Empire, Austria was actually a part of the Roman Empire until 476 AD. No one knows what happened in the area between then and 1191 when the deed to Musham Castle was written, but historians are pretty sure it was built on the spot of a Roman fortress. Several very bloody wars happened around the castle since then. I won't name all of them, but there were a bunch of crusades, three different Italian wars, and the Flemish Revolt, just to name a few. It's believed that there were around 45 different battles fought on the castle's grounds. And that was all just before 1675. The 1600s, as you know, were not a great time for women in history. Not that most of history was great for women, but, for instance, our own Salem witch trials began in 1692. But a few years before that, Mushom Castle was having its own witch trials, and they were much more violent than our own. Between 1675 and 1690, over 100 people were murdered in the castle for being quote-unquote Witches. Thousands were accused, and though many escaped with their lives, they had to endure imprisonment and torture, also being branded with hot irons so that they would be seen as criminals for the rest of their lives. Many of them also had their hands cut off, so that they could do no more harm to the world around them. A lot of those who were executed were orphans or beggars who had no one to come to trial to vouch for their character, so they were decapitated, the youngest being a 10-year-old little boy named Hanurl. He was a homeless orphan. Most of the victims, in fact, were under the age of 21. According to historians, this mass hysteria was the result of fear of disease that had been spreading due to post-war famine, and bad hygiene. Oh, and this wasn't the only time the people of the castle went nuts and killed their own because of a bunch of unsubstantiated rumors. Fast forward to sometime in the late 1800s. There's a lot of conflicting information about exactly when, probably because whoever was keeping the books was like, this is crazy, I am not writing this stupid shit down. Well... A lot of cattle and deer and other game started showing up dead and mutilated around the castle. I mean, what could be causing such a thing? Wolves? No, that's ridiculous. People? You're stupid for even thinking that. Obviously, it's both. Oh, yes, my friends. They believed it was a werewolf. Like so many witch hunts before, this werewolf hunt devolved into a pointing of fingers, and all the potential werewolves, aka innocent townspeople, were rounded up, taken to the dungeons, tortured, and eventually killed. Cool way to be, Austria. Then again, I'm American. I have literally no room to talk. Needless to say, this place is practically brimming with ghosts. According to many people who have stayed at the castle, you can hear the cries of the accused witches. You can hear children begging for mercy. One room, called the Room of Tony, was supposedly the room of the man responsible for most of the torture of the innocent so-called witches. If you enter the room, you're overcome with a feeling of dread and foreboding. You can feel a dark presence watching you in the room. One visitor of the castle even claims to have spoken with this dark entity. Good news, tours for the castle end at 4pm, so you won't be left in the dark with the restless and angry spirits. Next, we are going to visit the ghost of the Green Lady, who haunts the Chateau de Blazac in the Loire Valley of France. The chateau was originally built in the 11th century as a fortress by the Dukes of Anjou, but that was mostly torn down and rebuilt in the 17th century by Charles II de Corsay, the first Duke of Brissac, and turned into what's been described as a fairy tale like, decadent Renaissance style castle. But before all the romantic renovations, a horrific murder took place in the castle. In 1462, the castle had come under the possession of Jacques de Blessay the Seneschal of Normandy. And if you don't know what a Seneschal is, neither did I. Google says it is a governor or some other administrative or judicial officer, so basically an important dude. Well, he was a favored noble in the court of King Charles VII, who just happened to have an illegitimate daughter with his mistress, Agnes Sorrel, named Charlotte by the way, the relationship between Charles and Agnes was so fascinating. One of my favorite subjects is royal sex lives, and I've even thought about starting a separate podcast for it. Let me know if you're interested or if you would listen, because dang. Anyway, Charles and Agnes have a daughter named Charlotte. Charles wants a good life for her, and he arranges for her to marry one of his favorite people, Jacques de Blaise. It was obvious from the start that this was not a relationship motivated by love, but rather a political arrangement that suited the men and not Charlotte. Charlotte and Jacques were said to be very different. For instance, she loved being indoors and enjoying every bit of sophisticated domesticity. Jacques was a very outdoorsy guy, loved sports and hunting. Charlotte got bored very quickly. She was too far in the country for her favorite pastime, attending court, and her husband was constantly off on a hunting trip. I mean, they had five kids, so he wasn't constantly away, but he was away a lot. Enough for Charlotte to get restless. Idle hands, as they say, are the devil's tools. Charlotte found a lover to fill her... time. His name was Pierre de Lavernais. On May 31st, 1477, Jacques arrived home from a long hunting trip, and he and Charlotte had dinner together. They retired to bed, and they happened to sleep in separate rooms, which was pretty common for rich people at the time. During the night, Jacques was awoken by a servant who frantically told him that he saw a man go into Charlotte's room, and he must go tend to her quickly. As you probably guessed, it was no bandit or burglar who had entered dear Charlotte's room. But Pierre, her lover, Jacques caught them in bed. He instantly flew into a rage and murdered them. Some accounts saying he dealt them both hundreds of blows with an axe. Others say he somehow killed Pierre instantly and then slowly strangled his adulterous wife. After that, Jacques went back to business as usual. I guess no one told on him? I feel like King Charles might be a little upset that his daughter was murdered, affair or not. Charlotte was even given a proper burial at the Benedictine Abbey of the Colognes. She wasn't just dumped and hidden somewhere. So I have no idea why Jacques didn't go to jail. Then again, in those days, it was... Probably perfectly legal to murder your wife if she was having an affair. Who knows? I don't. And if you do, please let me know because I'm seriously so curious about this. Anyway, soon after, Jacques became plagued by the constant moaning of his dead wife and her lover. He quickly moved out of the castle and never returned. This evidently satisfied Pierre because he's never been seen or heard from since. Charlotte, however, has become la Dame Verte, or the Green Lady. She is frequently seen floating through the castle, wearing a green dress. Some say she has holes where her nose and eyes should be. So maybe Jacques did use an axe. When guests of the castle have heard her, they say she has a high-pitched wail that echoes throughout the halls. Now, we are going way way back, so far back that no one really has a date. Leap Castle in Coolderry, Ireland, was built on druid land. This place is chock full of ghosts. It's considered the most haunted castle in all of Ireland, and you will see why. Before any structure even stood there, the ancient druids used the ground for initiation ceremonies. The castle was built sometime between the 1100s and the 1400s. No one is quite exactly sure. But the grounds are shrouded in so much mystery and magic that it could only exist in a place like Ireland, known for fairies, leprechauns, banshees, and all kinds of mystical creatures. The name Leap Castle comes from a legend called the Leap of the O'Bannons. Legend has it that there were two brothers in the O'Bannon clan who were fighting over who was to be leader. There was a large rock where the castle was to be built. One brother had the amazing suggestion that they both leap from the rock and the one to survive the fall would govern the clan as well as be the one to overlook the castle's construction. I couldn't find any sources on which brother won. (laughs) Not that it mattered, because soon after, the O'Carroll clan invaded and a huge massacre took place. The O'Carrolls were now in charge of Leap Castle. And, oh boy, buckle up to hear about the O'Carrolls. Never have I ever discussed a more bloodthirsty family tree. Thaddeus and Tag O'Carroll were the sons of the chief of the O'Carroll clan, When their father, Mulroney O'Carroll, died in 1532, without appointing either of them as chief, the men were left to figure things out on their own, which always just goes super great. One day, Thaddeus, who happened to be a priest, was in the chapel of the castle, conducting mass. His brother arrived and was insulted that mass had begun without him. He flew into a rage And slaughtered his priest brother right then and there. And that is how we have come to ghost number one of Leap Castle. The chapel, now dubbed the Bloody Chapel, is home to Thaddeus O'Carroll, still destined to wander after he was so brutally murdered by his own brother. Next on the O'Carroll death list is the Red Lady. This one is a little more disturbing, Um, well, depending on your sensibilities, but I will say, again, this one has some sexual assault mentioned, so I would say skip forward maybe a minute if you want to skip this one. The Red Lady is thought to be a woman whose name has been lost to history. She was captured by the O'Carrolls and repeatedly raped. When she became pregnant and gave birth to a child, the O'Carrolls immediately murdered the newborn in front of her, stating that they couldn't afford another mouth to feed. The Red Lady took the same blade used to kill her infant and took her own life. She can be seen wandering the halls of the castle. She's been described as a tall woman in a red dress, with a dagger held high in her raised hand. Maybe she's still looking for the O'Carrolls to seek her revenge. For the next sinister part of the O'Carroll history, We actually have to jump forward for just a second. In the early 1900s, the castle, now owned by the Darby family, which we will get into, was undergoing some renovations. A hatch known as an oubliette was discovered. Now, let me tell you what an oubliette is. The word is derived from French, meaning to forget. It's a small dungeon like chamber, usually used to shove dying prisoners and the like, where you would quote-unquote forget about them until they eventually succumbed to their wounds or illness. The O'Carrolls were a little more creative than that. While renovating the castle, workers found large spikes in the oubliette, and on those spikes, they discovered hundreds of skeletons. It took three full carts to remove all of the skeletons when they were discovered, Apparently, the O'Carrolls had fitted a trapdoor over the Oubliette and liked to drop unsuspecting guests into it. At least 39 of the bodies are said to be those of the O'Neill family. The rest are lost to history. One ghost has been seen wandering the Oubliette, a man who seems to be lost. He has also been seen in the lower parts of the castle. It makes me wonder if it's some sort of residual haunting, and he relives his night of arriving at the castle, then falling to his untimely death in the Oubliette. Legends tell of several occasions where the O'Carrolls would employ other clans as mercenaries to kill off nearby threats. Upon completion of the job, the mercenaries were invited back to Leap Castle for a celebratory feast. Unfortunately for the mercenaries... The feast was poisoned, and their throats were cut. The corpses were thrown down into the Oubliette, which is what brings me back to the 39 O'Neill clan, who are said to have been disposed of in this fashion. In 1599, another deadly deed occurred at Leap Castle. Charles O'Carroll, the last chieftain at Leap, was at war with the Earl of Tyrone and hired the McMahon clan from Monaghan as mercenaries. After they fought for him, the O'Carrolls held a feast for the mercenaries, and I'm sure you can see where this is going. They were then all murdered in their sleep. The McMahon clan are said to haunt the Great Hall at Leap Castle. In the 1600s, the Darby family took over, and of course, they didn't just ask nicely for the castle. Captain Darby was a prisoner of the O'Carrolls, and one of the O'Carrolls' daughters fell in love with him. One night, she helped him escape, and they tried to run away. However, they ran into her brother on the staircase on their way out. Apparently, a sword fight commenced, and Captain Darby killed her brother, leaving his betrothed as the only heir to Leap Castle. And so, the Darby family took over. This captain had allegedly amassed a huge fortune from his travels, so he immediately began to renovate and restore the aging castle. But, the captain became very temperamental and paranoid. He started hiding his treasures all around the grounds of the castle, and even gained the nickname, the Wild Captain, He eventually took a break from his HGTV makeover of his castle and took a trip to Dublin for some reason, where he was imprisoned for other reasons I couldn't find. I mean, the dude had a ton of treasure and kept getting imprisoned, insisted on being referred to as captain. He sounds like he may have been some kind of pirate to me. I mean, what do you think? That, That all points to pirate. But nothing that I read said pirate, so I mean... That's just my opinion. Anyway, by the time he was released, his mood had not improved. It was said he returned to the castle on the brink of madness, and was unable to recall where he had hidden all of his treasure. You can still see his phantom roaming the grounds, eternally searching for his lost treasure. Two young girls have also been seen at Leap Castle. They're mainly seen playing in the main hall and running up the stairwell. They are believed to have lived at the castle during the 1600s. Emily, one of the girls, died at age 11 after falling from the castle's southeastern battlements. People outside the castle have reported seeing a girl falling off the castle roof and disappearing before hitting the ground. The other girl, named Charlotte, has been seen with a deformed leg that drags backwards behind her. We're almost done with Leap Castle. I told you it was ghostomania over there. I honestly didn't even get to all the ghosts. There are a few that we just know nothing about and have no story to attach to them. Like the old man who is often seen sitting peacefully by the fire in the hall. Probably some long forgotten resident of the Leap. But I saved the best for last. I've mentioned before that Ireland is known for its mythical creatures that people still today have claimed they've seen and interacted with. I've even met a few people who have sworn they've seen fairies or other creatures on their trips there. Well, this last presence falls in line with all of those. It's known simply as the elemental. It's said that for centuries a sinister presence has been felt at the castle not just from all the murder and such, but from a spirit who haunted the land of Leap Castle. Or perhaps even before there was a castle there at all. Some say it was put there by ancient druids to protect the land. The best account we have of this thing is by Mildred Darby, descendant of the Wild Captain. In the early 20th century, Mildred and her husband resided in the castle. Now, Two things happened that may have awoken this ancient being. First, Mildred was fascinated by the occult, and seances were very fashionable at the time. She tried her best to contact all those who had come before her in the castle. She kept records of all the spirits she came into contact with, many of them I've already mentioned to you. The second thing to happen at this time was... Remember those three full carts of human remains they found in the Oubliette? That was discovered while Mildred and her husband resided there. It's been speculated that these two events made sort of a big wave of paranormal energy, and the elemental felt like it needed to make its rounds. I'll let Mildred tell you what she saw. Suddenly, two hands were laid on my shoulders. I turned round sharply and saw, as clearly as I see you now, a grey thing, standing a couple of feet from me, with its bent arms raised as if it were cursing me. I cannot describe in words how utterly awful the thing was, its very undefinableness rendering the horrible shadow more gruesome, human in shape. A little shorter than I am, I could just make out the shape of big black holes like great eyes and sharp features, but the whole figurehead, face, hands, and all was grey, unclean, bluish grey, something of the color and appearance of common cotton wool, but oh, so sinister, repulsive, and devilish. My friends, who are clever about occult things, say it is what they call an elemental. The Thing was about the size of a sheep, thin, gaunt, and shadowy in parts. Its face was human, or to be more accurate, inhuman in its vileness, with large holes of blackness for eyes, loose, slobbery lips, and a thick, saliva-dripping jaw sloping back suddenly to its neck. Nose, it had none, only spreading cancerous cavities, the whole face being a uniform tint of gray. This too was the color of the dark, coarse hair covering its head, neck, and body. Its forearms were thickly coated with the same hair, so were its paws, large, loose, and hand-shaped, and it sat on its hind legs. One hand or paw was raised, and a claw-like finger was extended, ready to scratch the paint. Its lusterless eyes, which seemed half decomposed and looked incredibly foul, stared into mine and the horrible smell, which had before offended my nostrils, only a hundred times intensified, came up to my face, filling me with a deadly nausea. I noticed the lower half of the creature was indefinite, and seemed semi-transparent at least. I could see the framework of the door that led to the gallery through its body. When that description was published, This letter was written in response by someone else who had stayed at the castle and who had come in contact with the thing. I saw your eyes fixed upon something above our heads, and the next minute my own eyes were filled by the sight of a thing in the gallery looking down at us. There was plenty of light from the lamps in the hall, and the one above on the wall at the corner of the gallery, for every one of us to see quite plainly. The grey-colored figure, about the height of a small grown-up person, looking down at us. I wish I thought I could ever forget the sight of that grey figure, with dark spots like holes in its head instead of eyes, standing with grey arms folded on the gallery railing, looking down at us. Then, just as he put foot on the gallery, the thing that he saw there, that we were watching, suddenly faded out of sight. The thing did not move, only became less and less visible until it vanished. I won't read all the personal accounts, but they've received letters from people at least up until 2006 about experiencing what visitors believe to be this elemental, Sometime in the 1920s, after the Darby's had abandoned the castle, it was bombed and looted by the IRA, who also hung dead peacocks on meat hooks around its exterior. For a brief point in time, it was actually owned by an ancestor of the O'Bannons, the very, very original owners of the castle, if you remember. Fast forward to today, and the castle is privately owned by Sean and Anne Ryan who are attempting to restore it to its former glory. However, they've had the typical problems people tend to run into when trying to renovate a place so populated by spirits, missing equipment, and several broken bones. But the Ryans are still working away at it, and even had their new baby christened in the bloody chapel. Talk about metal. (laughs) The Ryans supposedly welcome tourists to the castle, so if you're ever in the area, and have a strong constitution, then I highly recommend a visit to Leap Castle. And then you have to tell me all about it. How apropos is it that one of the most haunted castles in England is called Chillingham? One of those names that, if it had been fictional, it would have been pretty cheesy. But it isn't fictional. And some very brutal stuff happened there. If you think the O'Carrolls over in Ireland were bad, just wait until we meet a man named John Sage. But first, let me tell you a little bit about the origins of Chillingham Castle. Chillingham Castle began life as a monastery in the 12th century. In the year 1298, King Edward I stayed there in order to set up a front in the battle against William Wallace of Scotland. Any of you familiar with the movie Braveheart? A fun tidbit from Wikipedia says that King William's room was even fitted with a glazed window in a frame, which was apparently extremely rare and decadent at the time. It was used as a staging post for the English armies on their way to battle the Scottish, and it was a great one. It had a moat, and some of the walls were as much as 12 feet thick. If that isn't impressive enough, In 1344, King Edward III made a ton of additions to the castle, making it a fully fortified stronghold. But let's go back to King Edward I, because through him, we are going to meet the infamous John Sage. Sage was one of King Edward's best soldiers. He rose quickly through the ranks and was eventually given the title of lieutenant. Shortly after, however... One of his legs was wounded in battle and he could no longer continue to endure the hardships of war. Sage begged and pleaded not to be let go of the military. He offered to do whatever he could to somehow be of service to his country. He was known already as a brute of a man, with a deep hatred for all Scots. So he was given sort of the perfect job, torturer now. I don't mean to make light of torture, but giving John Sage the job of torturing Scots was like combining peanut butter with jelly. Just a perfect match. Kind of like that line from Harry Potter, after all, John Sage did great things. Terrible, yes, but great. He was only in charge for about three years, but in that time, he's said to have overseen the torture of around 7,500 people. Today, you can still see the marks in the dungeon made by some of the prisoners, almost all of them being Scots. Sage had many different types of torture he liked to use. Gouging eyes out was one. He would toss people into a pit filled with boiling water or oil, depending on the day, I guess. Sometimes he would put prisoners into a barrel lined with spikes and have them rolled around until their flesh was torn from their bones, and they eventually died. One of his favorite things to do was to put people in cages and hang them over fires until they slowly, very slowly, roasted to death, and I looked at these cages, um... I think it's on the castle's website. They're built so it sort of encompasses your head and neck at an angle where you can't really sit down in the bottom of the cage. You also aren't standing. You're kind of being held there by your neck. And so you were kind of suffocating, but not really suffocating to the point where you would die. And that is when they would hang you over the fire. He also did the infamous rat torture, you know the one where a rat is put into a cage and strapped to a person's abdomen, intense heat is then applied to the cage, and the rat, desperate to escape, claws his way through the victim's stomach, again another very slow and unimaginably painful death. Do you remember the oubliette from Leap Castle? Chillingham Castle has one too. Supposedly, prisoners would have their limbs broken and were thrown down into it. Just stuffed there until they starved to death. And according to seekghost.blogspot.com, they would sometimes resort to eating the flesh of others. Or even sometimes eating chunks of their own in order to to attempt to survive. If you visit the castle, you can still see the remains of the last victim to be thrown down into the Oubliette. If you look through the grate on the floor, you'll see the bones of a child. Some visitors say that sometimes when looking for bones, you'll instead see the face of a little girl staring back at you. As the war with the Scots came to an end, Sage reached into his grotesque imagination once again, and decided to get rid of the remaining prisoners. Let me just interject to say, I think when I've been saying prisoners, you may have been picturing grown men, soldiers, and perhaps Scottish nobles or politicians, which was gut-wrenching enough, but I am sorry to inform you that this was not the case. While many of the prisoners were soldiers and men, a lot of them were also women and children, including some infants. So the war is ending and they have all these prisoners. The Geneva Convention is hundreds of years away from being penned, so there are no real legal guidelines on how to treat prisoners of war. So Sage had all of the adults and the older children rounded up he then instructed a large bonfire be built in the courtyard there all of the men women and teenagers were burned alive according to ghoststory.co.uk the remaining children were kept in what is now called the edward room and the location of that room means that the children would have been able to see, hear, and smell their parents and siblings being burned alive. After that, surely he let the children go, maybe to go back to their homeland of Scotland, or even to be integrated into English society. Time for more sage wisdom from John. He decided that letting the children go would result in a whole generation of kids who would soon grow to adulthood and return to seek revenge for their parents. So, he took it upon himself to grab an ax, enter the Edward Room, and hack to pieces every single remaining child. That ax is currently on display at Chillingham, I'm usually all for preserving old objects, and while nowadays I can definitely see that as a valuable historical artifact, I can't fathom why anyone at the time thought to keep that thing. I told my husband this story and mentioned that they still had the axe, and the first words out of his mouth were, they kept it? And don't worry, old John didn't get a happy ending. There was no dying of natural causes at a ripe old age in a country manor. John had a girlfriend. Her name was Elizabeth Charlton. And John and Elizabeth were kinky. Very kinky. So kinky, in fact, they had the inventive idea to use a popular torture device. You know it as the rack. Something used to kill and harm many thousands of innocent people as a sex toy. So, during sex one evening, John had Elizabeth strapped to the rack and, in John Sage fashion, took things too far and ended up accidentally killing Elizabeth. Well, when word reached Elizabeth's father, all hell broke loose. You see, her dad was a leader for a very powerful tribe called the Border Reavers. Her father went to King Edward, who was penniless at the time because of this huge war against Scotland, and said that if John Sage did not pay for what he had done, he would ensure that the Border Reavers would join up with Scotland and launch a strong attack on Chillingham Castle. King Edward, not wanting to deal with the Scots again, especially if they had such a robust ally this time, agreed. So, John was hanged, but don't worry everyone. It wasn't a clean neck break of a hanging. Hell, it wasn't even one where he was strangled to death. While he hung there, attempting to gasp for air, local villagers immediately flocked to him and cut off his toes, fingers, nose, and testicles, mutilating him while he was still alive. Then they left him there to bleed and suffocate. Some say John Sage stuck around after that, and his ghost can be seen stalking about the castle grounds. Over the years, tons of secret compartments have been found in the castle, many of them, oddly enough, containing human remains. Which brings me to the next most famous ghost, the blue boy. For years, visitors staying in the pink room of the castle claimed that at the stroke of midnight, they could hear a little boy crying from somewhere within the walls. After a while, the crying would stop, and the ghost of a little boy wearing blue clothing would appear to step through the wall and approach the bed. In the 1920s, some renovations were being done on the castle. It was then that a passage was discovered. Inside the passage were the bones of a young boy, along with scraps of blue fabric. His remains were interred in the cemetery, and many say that that's when the sightings of what had become known as the Blue Boy stopped completely. Some say that the only thing that does still happen is you'll be awoken in the pink room by bright flashes of blue light. But no boy. I'd like to think he's moved on, and he's happy now. Another sad and longing ghost of the castle is that of Lady Mary Berkeley. Her husband ran off with her younger sister, leaving her alone with her baby girl in the castle. No one has ever actually laid eyes on Mary, so I'm not really sure how they know this is even her, but you can apparently hear the rustle of her skirts and feel a cold chill as she walks by you. One phenomenon that happens at Chillingham is something I'm familiar with, actually. Many of you have already heard my ghost story about the Civil War battlefield, so I won't bore you with it again. If you have heard it, this is eerily similar to what happened to me. In the library of the castle, two men can be heard having a conversation. Those who hear it say it's clear as day, but for some reason, you can't quite make out what they're saying. And if you cease reading or writing or whatever it is you're doing in the library, the conversation stops. They also have one of the coolest ghosts I've ever heard of. There is a portrait of a woman from the Grey family hanging in the castle. And sometimes, her ghost just likes to step out of her own portrait. The Earl of Tankerville's children claim to have seen her do just that on several occasions and said she would follow them for a little while around the castle. A guest of theirs also claimed to have seen the ghost of this woman step out of one of her portraits and walk around. How cool is that? The amount of bloodshed at the castle alone has led to more ghost sightings than I can even mention here. I mean, even the nearby lake has the bodies of thousands of Scots laying at the bottom. I didn't even talk about all of the skeletons found because we would be here all day. Seriously, though, look into Chillingham, and if you live in the UK, please go visit so I can live vicariously through you. They offer tours, and I believe you can even stay the night. That is, if you're not too afraid. For our last castle of the evening, let's make the ghost of John Sage really mad and take a trip over to Scotland. Let's go see... Hermitage Castle. It may be Hermitage, but it does say that the name derived from the old French L'Hermitage, uh, meaning a guardhouse. So, And it was also said that the castle was known as the guardhouse of the bloodiest valley in Britain, and the strength of Littlesdale. So I'm not really sure to pronounce it. I'm going to say Hermitage. I'm probably wrong. I'm sorry again to my Scottish listeners. So, Hermitage ca- Castle was supposedly built by one Nicholas de Sulis around 1240 in a typical Norman motte and Bailey pattern. It's a really neat-looking castle. It's very spooky-looking. It's very angular and foreboding. Basically, uh, you guys should really look up a picture. I'll try to post pictures of each of these castles, by the way, on Instagram, so you can take a look. Nicholas. Nicholas's descendant, William de Solis, eventually took over the castle, and let's talk about William, shall we? William was not a popular guy. Let's start with the more colorful version of his supposed history. It was alleged that William was heavily involved in witchcraft, and not the good kind. It was said that he would steal the children of the local villagers to use in his black magic. William would use their blood to conjure up his familiar, Robin Redcap, or I've also read his familiar referred to as Redcap Sly. Either way, child blood is a frowned upon ingredient in any recipe. He eventually invited the Count of Kielder up to the castle for a banquet and killed him and his entire party in a red wedding style massacre, which was when everyone threw their hands up and said, Enough is enough. Kill our children, but don't you dare kill our count. Also, I don't know what a count is. I saw this story in several different places, and each time it was spelled differently. Sometimes C-O-U-T, sometimes C-O-W-T, and one time it was C-O-U-T again, but it was Kout-O-Kilder, not kout of kilder So, please let me know again. Anyway whatever account is, it was important enough for people to really take notice of how bad a guy William was. So the villagers bombarded Robert the Bruce with complaints and pleas, begging him to rid them of their evil lord. Robert, annoyed with hearing about William so often, is said to have replied to their cries, according to northern Ghost stated, boil him if you must, but let me hear of him no more. And so they did. The townspeople wrapped him in lead and boiled him to death in a cauldron. Of course, there is a less spooky version of this story. Sorry to burst your bubble. William did die under mysterious circumstances, but it was probably less witchcraft related and more related to the fact that he was plotting to overthrow the monarchy. In 1320... He was involved in a conspiracy against King Robert, along with Sir David de Brecken. Some say he wanted the Scottish throne for himself, others that the probable aim was to place Edward Balliol on the Scottish throne. He was found out, arrested, and imprisoned in Dumbarton Castle, where it's said he died in prison. But no one knows exactly how he died, since it was never officially recorded that he was executed. To the ghosts. It isn't exactly William's ghost who is said to have been seen around the castle grounds, but his familiar, Robin Redcap. If you visit the deserted castle at night, you can hear his demonic laughter ringing throughout the empty halls. He isn't alone, however. You can also hear the sounds of the children he kidnapped and killed as well, moaning and crying. For their parents to come save them. Our next unfortunate soul is Sir Alexander Ramsay. His tragic story begins when he and his party of men recaptured Roxborough Castle from the English in 1342. The titular constable of the castle, Sir William Douglas, had several times tried unsuccessfully to retake it. For his brave and heroic feat sir alexander was appointed constable of roxburgh sir william douglas was so outraged by the appointments that he sought revenge by capturing sir alexander and imprisoning him in the dungeon of hermitage castle where he was left to starve legend has it that he survived for 17 days by eating small quantities of grain that fell through the cracks in the floor of the castle granary above the dungeon In the early 1800s, a mason was doing some work on the castle and broke into the long sealed-up dungeon. There lay a skeleton atop a rusty old sword. The skeleton is thought to be that of poor Sir Alexander, whose ghost is said to be heard screaming to be let out from the old dungeon. The last ghost of Hermitage Castle is that of a woman in white. She has been spotted clear as day, walking around the grounds, outside of the castle. Probably out there to avoid all the screaming going on inside. There's no way of knowing if this is her or not, but one theory is that it is Mary Queen of Scots herself. You see, her secret lover, James Hepburn, the fourth Earl of Bothwell, was on his sickbed at Ermitage Castle for a time, and she may have snuck out to visit him. To be honest, I really don't think it's Mary's ghost, though. Historians say that she was somewhere else at the time, and also, James Hepburn recovered and died somewhere else much later. So, who knows who this mysterious woman in white is? You know, the castle just opened back up for visits in April. So, maybe take a trip and ask her yourself. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We will be back to fictional stories next week, but I thought this was a fun change of pace. Oh, also, I forgot to mention, you can also send in your kids' episode submissions via snail mail. The address is available on my website, scaryytosleep.com. I figured maybe for teachers it would be easier to bundle a whole bunch of stories together and send them that way, but email is very welcome as well. This week's Patreon shout-out goes out to William Cox. Thank you so much for your support, William. Remember, you can follow the show on Instagram, Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. You can send all story submissions to at gmail.com. And remember, by using my offer codes for my sponsors, who I'd like to thank so much, by the way, for sponsoring the show, you are also supporting the show in a big, 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 big way. So, Always remember to use my offer codes. I always leave them in my show notes. I think that's all for tonight. Go get some sleep and sweet dreams.